Well, we want to welcome everyone tuning in online right now by Facebook and YouTube. We're happy you're here as well. We believe God is, has a word for you this morning. And I'm so excited because the book of Jonah has been ministering to me. Uh, last week, just if, if you missed it, we talked about how Jonah was running in the wrong direction. Anybody ever ran in the wrong direction before? I think we've all been there at some point in our life. So we can immediately identify with Jonah. We talked about how Jonah went to an extensive uh, length that he uh, made really a premeditated plan that when God said go to Nineveh, it was 500 miles away, but Jonah got creative and Jonah put more effort into sinning than into following God. And so he got on a ship in Joppa and was, his plan was to head 2,500 miles to Tarshish. And so we see right off the bat, and what we talked about last week is there's times that God will ask you to do things that you don't like to do. He'll ask you to do things that you don't like to do. And we're gonna see a bigger picture of why Jonah ran. That yes, it was out of fear because the Ninevites, modern day uh, Assyria, that there was uh, great atrocities that would happen. If you were to go in that town and rebuke them for what they believed, what they, uh, the way that they lived, you were signing your death sentence. You were pretty much risking your life to bring the word of God. So this is everything that's going on in Jonah's head. And so we see that that was one purpose why we ran. But this morning, I want to get and look a little deeper of some idols that were in his life. Uh, we also talked about last week that as Jonah was on the boat, it says that God was the one who sent the storm, uh, which I think is, speaks of the character and nature of God, that there's times he will send storms in our life. As Jonah was down at the bottom of the boat sleeping, we see that above the boat, the sailors are freaking out. The sailors are trying to figure out, they're saying, you pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. Let's try to get this storm out of here. None of their gods work. So they go and they wake up sleeping Jonah and said, what have you brought onto our boat? Now I could go a direction and, and, and preach on this for a minute that maybe a lot of the drama in your life in 2020, who have you let onto your boat? Who have you let onto your ship? that you're paying the price because it says the sailors out of their graciousness and out of the innocence of their heart invited Jonah onto their boat. And because of that, they paid the price for Jonah's drama. And so Jonah comes to this place and he says, look, he has this moment of identity. He reminds himself, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God who created the waters and the God who created the dry lands. Here's what you have to do to stop the storm. And so Jonah tells him, you got to throw me over this boat. The sailors take a step back and look at him and say, that's your big plan to throw you over into the storm where you will probably die. And so again, we see these pagan sailors who converted to follow the God of Jonah out of their graciousness. Again, they said, at least the least we could do was try to row you to dry land. <laughs> but that wasn't God's plan. So they threw him over the boat. And as they throw him over the boat, if you put up Jonah 1.17, this is where we, we stopped yesterday and where we're going to pick back up. As Jonah was thrown over the boat, we see really a miracle take place. But this is what it says. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So we see this provision that God brought into Jonah's life. I want to tell you this as well. And this is a truth that we have, really, it comes by experience that we're better off obeying Jesus in the storm 
than disobeying him on the boat. Always better off obeying him in the storm than disobeying him being in comfort, being in safety, but knowing that we're not in the will of God. So it's always best no matter if it looks like you're being thrown into a storm because what we've said is the will of God is the safest place you'll ever be. It might not look like it, but the will of God is always the safest place because many of you know it can look like there is no storm on top, but what's going on on the inside is a storm inside of you. And that's the place that God wants to get to. So on the outside, it looks like Jonah may have been sleeping, but on the inside, we're gonna see he was in torment running from the will and the purposes of God. And so we see God send this great fish into his life. And I want to tell you this too, that when it comes to sin and grace, that when we sin, the action is to run from God. So Jonah in his sin is running from God. But here's the beauty is, is Jonah is running from God. The fish is as though it's right behind him. The grace, sin is running from God, but grace is God running after us. That's That's how amazing of a God we serve, that we think we're running from God, but we know you can run from God, but you cannot hide from God because grace is right there to engulf you and to swallow you up because God had a, big, a bigger picture and a bigger purpose for Jonah's life. And so I want you to see this is Jonah was thrown into the belly of, of the fish. And if you study this out, the Bible commentary will tell us of what does this fish represent? What is the symbolism? What does it work here? of what's taking place in Jonah's life. And Sean, if you would throw this up, and if you're taking notes, write this down, because this will really share the heart of what we're gonna get into this morning, is the belly of the fish is a picture of God's discipline and his discipleship. Anybody ever been in a place where you are experiencing God's discipline and discipleship taking place in your life? A lot of the times, it's not a fun place to be. A lot of the times, it's not a comfortable place to be. Now, I want you to put yourself, I want you to emotionally connect with Jonah this morning. Picture, you're just thrown over the boat, and we're going to see as we get into Jonah chapter 2 that he begins getting real with himself and real with God. He begins praying of what's precise prayers, passionate prayers. You see his posture begin to change. That as he begins to pray, you begin to get the context of what he's going through. So as you emotionally connect with Jonah, First off, being swallowed by a great fish would be very traumatizing. So just getting past the fact of where you think you're probably going to be eaten by a shark. No, you're getting swallowed by a fish. And getting past the trauma of the fish, now you're going to be in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Connect with Jonah for a minute. You're in the belly of the fish. It's utterly dark. What are you hearing? You're hearing maybe the digestive system of that fish. Uh, you're, you're trying to grasp for any kind of oxygen you can get. You don't know what day, uh, day it is, what time of day it is. It's dark, you can't see anything. You're stuck with yourself and you have no idea what in the world is happening. Honestly, you probably think you've died and this is what hell is like. And so Jonah is in this place, but what you're gonna begin to see and, and really the, the title of the message this morning, Lessons from the Belly of the Fish, the Belly of the Whale, is that if you can take hold of this morning and grab hold of what God was trying to teach Jonah in a season of discipline and discipleship, I believe it mirrors what God does in our life and how he teaches us, how he grows us, how he moves us forward. And so look at 
Jonah chapter two, we see he's in the belly of the fish. And so we see that he begins to pray. Now, I think he begins to go back to a place and we're gonna see three things take place. We're gonna see his confinement, we're gonna see his communion with God and we're gonna see his confession with God in Jonah chapter two. His confinement, his communion, and his confession. And so we don't see him complain, we don't see him whine, but we begin to see him wake up spiritually. He had to be woken up physically to be thrown in, but in the belly of the fish, now he's waking up spiritually and God's got his attention. If you're taking notes, write down confinement because in the confinement, God creates a sanctuary. Now, what is a sanctuary? It's a place where you get alone with God and the presence of God can get into your life. Now, when you think about the presence of God, when we go back to Jonah chapter one, the Bible says that he ran from the presence of God. So as he ran from the presence of God, that picture we see, now grace has ran him down and God's provision is the belly of the fish to get him back in the presence of God. See, many times we love the presence of God of what we just experienced, saying he can do all things, that we have victory. But what do you do when the presence of God comes in the form of a belly of a fish? What do we do when the presence of God comes and says, now I've rescued you, but that's just a part of it because I have purpose and destiny for your life. I now have to discipline you and I have to disciple you because that's where the transformation takes place. So we see this prophet, we see whose name means dove, who tends to fly away when the storm comes. We see this prophet who's identified as the reluctant prophet. God's now got him in a corner and he can go nowhere in the belly of that fish. So he's gonna get to him and bring change, transformation into his life. I wanna remind you of this this morning, if you're taking notes, is we cannot mistake God's provision as God's punishment. See, spiritual immaturity would tell Jonah, this is God's punishment for my life. I've messed up, I've sinned, now here I am in the belly of the well. But Jonah, going back to this place, being a prophet, being uh, educated, being in a place of consensing what God is doing, something began to click and turn on that no, this isn't God's punishment, this is his provision to get me back into the presence of God. Jonah chapter two, verse one, look what it says. And I, I wanna read through in the message version where you're gonna just begin to hear his heart and what he begins to cry out to God in the belly of the fish. It says, then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed in trouble, deep trouble, I have prayed to God, but he answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help. And you heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean depths into a watery grave with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I have been thrown away. I have been thrown out, out of your sight. Again, he's in this place as this is God's punishment. As the waves are breaking over me, as I'm sinking down to the bottom of this ocean. See, the fish didn't come right away. So you see kind of in the context of time before he was engulfed by the belly of the fish, that as he's drowning, just everything and anything of how he's failed, how he's messed up, the shame he's feeling, he begins to cry out to God in that manner. He says, I've been thrown away. I've been thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. The oceans gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed. Look how descriptive he is. 
He says, at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root, I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. But hear this right here. It says, but God, or yet God, pulled me out from that grave alive. Oh God, my God, when my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you and made it all the way to your holy temple. So I want to pause right there where we see him crying out to God. He sees that his life is over. And here's what a truth I want you to get if you're taking notes, write this down. You may feel your situation is helpless, but you are not hopeless. When you go through th things and pain and problems in your life, you feel this sense of hopelessness. But when God's in the mix of it, Jonah began to feel hopeless. But through the provision of the fish, he may be helpless, but he wasn't hopeless anymore because he saw God begin to show up on the scene and in his life. So we see him praying this inside the fish. We see in this confinement when he's swallowed up that God begins to get his attention. You know, one thing I know about God when we're in that place of confinement, when he's wanting to get us back into the presence of God, is that God works best with broken things. Can, can you say amen to that? That God is attracted to brokenness. Because when we're not broken, the opposite of, of that is we are full of ourselves. And Jonah was full of himself. Jonah was prideful. We're going to see that he was even racist and prejudiced. And that God had to deal with some deep idols and issues in his heart. And so right off the bat, we see that God is trying to deal with some root issues in his life. That Jonah had to get to this place of brokenness. Because if I was Jonah, again, running from the things of God, Jonah, I'm sure, and we're going to see where his prejudice comes in, in um, Jonah chapter 4, you'll see at one point when God saves the entire city and performs one of the greatest revivals ever recorded in the Bible in a Gentile city, is that Jonah, is God is, it's, it literally says every leader of that city turned to God. And so a great revival took place because of Jonah's second chance, we're gonna see, I don't wanna give it away, but one thing that he does, and it's mind-blowing, and this is after all of this happened of what we're reading, is as he goes east of the city, he sits under a tree, crosses his, his hands, begins to whine and complain, and he looks to God and he says, see God, that's why I didn't wanna come, because I know your grace and your kindness was going to save them. I knew you were going to do this. And so Jonah's mad at God for saving a wicked people. I'm telling you, Jonah's got some problems. You think he'd learn his lesson in the belly of the fish. Number two is this, if you're taking notes. So we see him in his confinement, what God begins to do. Number two, we begin to see his communion. He gets back to this place of communion with God. I want you to put this up on the screen. You're going to see uh, a picture that when Jonah came into a place of, of having to cry out for, for God, he's in pain. He, he's trying to find his direction. He's trying to get back to communion with God. What's in him begins to come out. And this is what you need to know. When God gets you in this place of brokenness, what's in you, whether good or bad, is what is going to come out. So Jonah, I can tell you, goes back to a place. I can picture him maybe early in his training as, as a prophet when he began to memorize the Psalms, when he began to learn how to pray, that what was in him began to come out. 
as you read, you'll see, especially in the New King James Version, a parallel from what he prayed was that on exact of what David prayed in the Psalms. And here's what you need to know this morning, is that when you go through a time of worry, when you go through a time of pain, you have to have a word in you to draw on, or you're not going to make it through. And so look at this. If you put up this comparison, I don't know if we, if we were able to get it in there, but you'll see right here. Yeah, you had it right there. You'll see that in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, he says, your billows swept over me. And you'll see the comparisons of what he was praying verbatim of the Psalms. So this was nothing new that Jonah began to pray. He began to go back to a place that he began to pull on a reservoir that was within him that came out when he was in a time of pain. He said, I feel like I've been banished, engulfed me up to the neck. My life was fading away to your holy temple, to worthless idols. Salvation is from the Lord, all paralleled to, a, to the prayers of David, the prayers in the Psalms. And so you can see he's getting back on this path of being drawn back into communion with God. Three things I want you to get quickly of when you're on the path of getting back into communion with God or you're believing for a breakthrough. Number one, in your prayer life, you have to have precision with God. You have to have precision with God. And I've learned this, that going into 2020, there's things that I don't want to come with me from 2019. And so I want to be precise with God that that's got to end, that's got to die. That is no longer a part of my story. There's also specific breakthroughs that I'm believing for in my life and the life of our church. So I'm going to get precise with God. See, many times we can get lazy in our prayer life. Come on, I'll be the first to say where we just pray little blanket prayers, we pray safe prayers. But there's power when you get in that prayer closet and you begin to get precise with what you're believing God for or what you're in need of in your life. Number two, so we have precision. Number two, and I think we experienced this morning that there has to be passion in your walk with God. A walk with God that is absent of passion is one that is boring, one that is dull, one that you're not really sensing the hand of God at work because you're just not being intentional with your life. You're allowing life to just happen. So I want to encourage you. You see, in the descriptive nature of what Jonah was saying, there was passion as he was praying from the belly of the well. He meant what he was saying, and it was coming from a deep place within him. You know, the thing I love about Jesus, and we see so many traces of Jesus in the book of Jonah, because in light of where we're at, in light in the New Testament, not where Jonah was, but we can see Christ in every book of the Bible, that we serve a true and better who is Jesus. And so when we pray with passion, where I would go to, and this is what I go to when I'm crying out for help or I'm in need of something from God, is Hebrews 4.15. Look what it says. It says that we don't have a high priest we don't have a savior. We don't have a Lord who is unable to empathize with right, our weakness. Right. This right here is a game changer yeah. because we don't serve a God like every other religion that he's far off. He's not invested in our lives. He's not a part. He hasn't gone through what we've done. He's never experienced humanity. God has experienced every pain, every injustice, every abuse, every form of lack that you can imagine. Jesus went through it all. So it says we serve a God who can empathize in our moments of weakness. And when I serve a God who's that relatable, that's the first place, honestly, that I want to run because he is available. He is there. He gets you and he understands. 
Look what it goes on to say. It says, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet he did not sin. And here's the promise we have. And this is where the passion comes in. So we're being precise. Now we should passionately, we should boldly approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? It says we may receive mercy, we may find grace, and that we can find help in our time of need. Does that sound like a good God? Can I get a witness this morning? That's a God that we want to serve who's ready to give grace and mercy and help. I'm telling you, this is what Jonah was beginning to remind himself of, what he was beginning to experience as God was capturing his heart again. So we have precision, we have passion, and number three is this, we have posture. We have posture. There's a posture you begin to see Jonah praying in. Now, when I think about posture, I can remember back in third grade, and we lived at a house for a couple years, and this was the house when the Cusick brothers got a bunch of broken bones in. Uh, I broke my arm, and I can remember, I think it was third grade, that we were out back playing in the backyard, and uh, my brother Clay went down to pick up a soccer ball. And as, as boys do, you take a moment of weakness in your brother and you decide to tackle him and jump on him. So I can remember I jumped on Clay and he screamed as loud as I've ever heard. I'm like, okay, something's up here. Well, I jump on Clay. Clay gets up. He's screaming and crying. Remember, he's in third grade. And I thought you were going to be in California, man, so I was going to share the story today. <laughs> so you're here to, to testify. But I can remember he gets up, dad runs out, and as a good dad does, he just starts pulling things, moving things, trying to figure out where the pain is. Dad does this. Come to find Clay broke his collarbone. And I can remember Clay goes off to the hospital, and he comes back with this brace because you can't really put a a cast. You got to put this back brace on. So Clay comes home with his back brace. And maybe where his posture was like this, now it's like this, and he has this back brace, and he's walking all over the place, getting special treatment from mom and dad, nice pillows, you name it, to help him heal from his back. But many times when I, th- I was thinking about that and how God works in a, in a place of brokenness, that the fish, God's discipline and discipleship, can be seen as a cast for Jonah's destiny that some things had to be broken in him and then a cast put on to get him straightened back up and to get his posture where it needed to be. And what's amazing too about Clay is he's, because of that, because I broke your collarbone, I gave you an extra inch in height. So now he's taller than me. So I gave him that gift. I gave him that gift. And so we have precision, we have passion, and we have posture is how we can approach God, and we see this in the life of Jonah. Jonah 2.8, quickly, it says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. You need to hear this too, and you'll see this in Jonah, that Jonah began worshiping God before he was ever delivered. You'll see in verse 9-10 that he began to sing a song of thanksgiving and praise to God. See, a life of faith is all about worshiping before the deliverance ever begins. Because if you never had to worship before you were delivered, then can you really call it faith? See, we continue to worship after the fact, but what really touches the heart of God, where we're in the belly of the well, where we're in discipleship, where we're in discipline, we choose to worship God. And so again, Jonah, in this process, these lessons from the belly of the fish, he began to position his posture 
to I'm still here three days and three nights. I have not been delivered, but I'm going to worship God. But as he's worshiping God, here's what's amazing is idols begin to get confronted in his life. Now, I've taught on this uh, in the 10 gifts, the 10 commandments. You can go and get more from that series on what idols are. But I think where idols can hide in plain sight in our life is, and this is the simplest way I can say it, is that an idol can be a good thing in the wrong place. A lot of the times an idol can be a good thing, but it's in the wrong place. And so I think when we ask God to really go deep and discern things, can the good things in our life, like working, family, marriage, relationships, money, things that are good and have a good purpose, but when it's in the wrong place and it becomes number one, then it has the potential to become an idol. So an idol can be a good thing in the wrong place. And so Jonah's idols, as he begins to confront them, we'll see, is pride and prejudice. And we'll get into that in Jonah chapter three and four. But these were things that God was beginning to deal with him and to deliver him from and to set him free from. Number three is this. So we have his confinement, we have his communion, and then we have his confession. We have that confession of worship that as he begins to worship, God's deliverance comes into his life. Quickly, you'll see in Jonah 2, 3, and 4 that number one, he recognizes God's hand is at work in his life. Number two, in Jonah 2, 4, you will see that he decides to turn his eyes back to God, that this repentance is true. It's not just a lip service, but it's from the heart. Number three is he begins to thank God for his compassion. In Jonah 2, 6, what does he say? You were the one who lifted me out of this pit. You're the one who's done it. And number four, he renews his commitment to God. So in, in Jonah 2, 9, when he says, I choose to fulfill my vows, that was when God knew he was serious, that he was ready to get up and now go to Nineveh to get back on mission. And I'm telling you, you see the hand and the grace of God where you and I would have counted Jonah out. He ran from God, so he's done. Let's go get somebody else. But as Jonah was running in sin, God's grace was coming after him. And it was in the form of the belly of the well. And I'm telling you, because Jonah got real with God, he got real with himself, he repented, he cried out to God, Jonah's heart began to change. That from being reluctant, he became empowered. He became passionate. His posture changed, that now he was ready to get back on mission. There's a quick video I want to show you because really all of this points to Jesus. We know that all of this points to Jesus, that there is a true and a better Jesus. And if you're new to the things of God, the amazing thing is about the Bible is it's not just a bunch of random stories put together, but it is a continuation. It is a fulfillment that points to one name and to one person, and that's Jesus. And we see this in the book of Jonah. And before we show this, I want you to catch this because it's going to bring it all together, is that Jonah was a sinner, but Jesus was a savior. Jonah ran from the will of God, but Jesus was the will of God. Jonah met with God unwillingly, but Jesus met with God continually. Jonah wrestled with God in the fist. Jesus wrestled with God in the garden. Jonah was punished for his sin. Jesus, for your sin and for my sin. 
Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. Jonah wanted his enemies damned. Jesus came that his enemies might be saved. Jonah prayed to God as a savior, and Jesus came to God as savior. Jonah came from his burial to proclaim God. Jesus came from his burial to show that he is God. I'm telling you, this is the picture we see. So you're gonna see in this video that it's gonna bring it all together, that the Bible is all pointing to Jesus from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that we serve a true and better. Check this out. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us, He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. Does that give anybody hope this morning? I pray as we start 2020 off that you be full as we read in Hebrews 4:15 again that when you go to God as you get your posture